As our devotional word before we get into the testimony, I wanted to share with you from Scripture biblical precedent and even exhortation to share your testimonies. You might wonder whether or not maybe, maybe testimonies are a Western thing, maybe they're a modern thing. They're actually not. They're actually a biblical thing. And I want to share with you a few texts that might even surprise you with how straightforward we are told from Scripture to share our testimonies. First uh, Chronicles 16.23, David says he's, the, um, the ark has just been placed in the, uh, the tent and he is uh, thrilled and he's giving God a song of praise. And he says in verse 23, Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his salvation day to day. What is your testimony but telling of your salvation? Telling of God's salvation. Psalm 40 uh, verses 9 and 10 says this, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Is that not David exclaiming that he did not hide this good news of God's work in his life from his God's people? In fact, he open that up for God's people to be edified and encouraged by. So there is yet another example, yet even an exhortation, you might say, from David. We have a testimony that I'll mention in a moment is a stewardship, and we are not to hide it. Psalm 66 verse 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. We're fulfilling these psalms right here. We are talking about, I will be talking about what God has done for my soul, and the encouragement to you is to continue to do that among other believers as well, and even those who don't know the Lord. Uh, Psalm 96 verse 2 is, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. And then you come to the New Testament, you have Paul, who gave his testimony several times to some governing officials. And then in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, he gives his testimony. He was a Pharisee, a Hebrew uh, uh, a, from the tribe of Benjamin, had all kinds of credentials in terms of his religion and religiosity. And he explains how he had come to Christ and now he values Christ above all things. And then Jesus, in the Gospels, told the uh, demoniac after he had healed him, he did not permit the demoniac to follow alongside of him, but he said, rather, and said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So there Jesus is actually instructing the demoniac after he had been healed to go share his testimony of what God has done, had done for him. So this, this, I think, gives us biblical precedent, even biblical encouragement, exhortation to be those who are ready and happy and willing to share our testimonies, not in order to shine the spotlight on us, but in order to shine the spotlight on God, but God has worked through us. So it's no use to say, well, I don't want to talk about myself, because ultimately you're not, you're talking about what God has done, but he's done something for you. So I think it is a stewardship to share a testimony. It also renews your assurance. I love going through my testimony because it reminds me of what God has done and how he sovereignly worked to bring me to a certain place where I came to trust in Christ. 
And I just talking about all that renews my assurance. It renews our assurance when we give our testimonies. It demonstrates the diversity of God's work. No two testimonies are the same. Some people get saved early in life. They grow up in a Christian home. Some people grow up in a, an atheistic home and they don't hear the gospel till college. Some people have a, a, a life of um, immorality before they come to Christ. Others uh, have a life of self-righteousness, thinking that they're better than others before they come to Christ. So sharing your testimony shares with others the, the diversity of God's work and those whom he saves. It also gives compelling evidence of the reality of Christ in the gospel. You can speak firsthand of the reality of Christ and who he is because of what he has done on your behalf and what he has done in your life. And then finally, it encourages other Christians to evangelize. And here's why. Testimonies show, and this goes back to talking about the diversity of God's work, testimonies show that God can save anyone. There are probably people in your life right now who you are pro- you're, you're convinced that God cannot save They are too hardened to the gospel, too entrenched in sin, too angry, too bitter, too distant, too irreligious, whatever. And what testimonies do is they remind you that God can save anyone. Biblically, we know that. But then you hear a testimony of someone who is in a similar situation to the person that you're concerned about, the loved one that you think can't get saved, and you hear a testimony, you're like, whoa, if they got saved, then my father-in-law or my brother or my sister or my cousin can be saved, or my employer, or my fellow employee, and so on. So testimonies encourage other Christians to evangelize. And so I hope that my testimony today is an encouragement to you in all these various ways, to share your testimony and to share it so that you can fulfill God's stewardship He's given you, to renew your own assurance, to encourage other people to evangelize, and also to just demonstrate the reality of Christ in one's life, in your life. What I want to do is um, share my testimony, and then this is the get-to-know-the-pastor time, and so I'm going to leave it open for some Q&A after I share my testimony, all right? And then probably get out a little early. I grew up in a practicing Catholic home. I went to Catholic school from K through 14. Uh, first two years of college was in a Catholic University, but I, but I grew up in a uh, practicing Catholic home. Practicing Catholic, what I mean by that is we were in church every Sunday. I was in Catholic schools, uh, did my first communion, and followed through with the various um, uh, um, rituals and these kinds of things that you would as a, as a practicing Catholic. We were a moral family in that um, my parents recognized that there was a standard by which we should live, namely God's standard. Now, we weren't exactly sure what that was, as I'll mention in in a little bit, because we weren't privy to much of the Bible's contents. But nevertheless, we believed in God. We went to church. We knew that Jesus died and rose again, and we knew that the Bible was God's Word in some way. And uh, as I mentioned, I began going to Catholic school very early on in, in kindergarten. And I thank God for that upbringing because I believed in God at a very early age. I believed in hell and heaven at an early age. Now, I didn't know how to get to heaven. I thought it was through being a good kid, and so I tried to be a good kid, and I tried to obey so I wouldn't go to hell. But generally speaking, I had a broad framework, broad theological framework, believing in God, believing in eternal realities, 
due to my upbringing in the Catholic Church. But it wasn't until I was in eighth grade that I actually heard the gospel and actually heard the Bible preached. Let me tell you what happened. So about my eighth grade year, seventh, eighth grade year, I, I grew up with three older sisters, grew up in Montana, still the greatest state in the union. I, last time I checked, pretty recently, I checked that just recently, just a, just a few minutes ago, and um, grew up with three older sisters. Uh, the oldest sister is actually 18 years older than I am, and the one closest to me is 12 years older than I am, so I was an unplanned child, so to speak. My parents were 40 when they had me. But my oldest sister was the rebellious one of the bunch. She was, um, she would even, even say that she was quite um, rebellious. And in, I was in seventh, eighth grade, something happened. She claimed to have gotten saved, whatever that meant. We, none of us knew what that meant. But there was a remarkable change in her. She went from um, uh, having a terribly foul mouth to not wanting to swear because it wouldn't glorify God. She had a, a love for Christians, whereas before she thought Christians were just weird. She had a desire to study Scripture. Uh, she had a desire to exercise love and kindness towards people where before that wasn't even part of her vocabulary. And we were wondering what had happened. Well, she told us that she had been saved. And we didn't know what that meant, but she said we needed to go to her uh, church and to hear the preaching of the Bible to find out what that was all about. And so she invited us to this small little Baptist church just down the road from our house. And uh, it was there that I first heard the word salvation. I heard the word gospel. I had learned that uh, I can be right with God. I'm not presently right with God, but I can be right with God. And the preacher was preaching from the Bible. And even though I didn't understand most of what he was talking about, I was like, this is a lot more exciting than Catholic Church. So why don't we go here more? Now, I didn't mention that my sister's personality, uh, being um, uh, just a neat, this, uh, um, a neat representation of how God works in the life of people, even preparing uh, them before they come to Christ for the work that they'll do, she has a very straightforward personality. She'd just get up right in your face and tell you how it is. And she told us very clearly that the Catholic Church is a false church and we're all going to hell. So we need to come and hear the gospel. And so um, we are exhorted and encouraged on a regular basis to go back to this church. We, were, we started to go there, and I think initially we started to go there to appease my sister. And so she'll kind of quit bugging us. But we started to float in between this little Baptist church and the Catholic church. We'd go one Sunday to the Catholic church, and we'd go to the next Sunday to the Baptist church. And we did that for several months, and I finally said, now I wasn't a believer at this time, but things were kind of logically being put together, and I said, hey, if the Bible is God's word, and we're not hearing about it at the Catholic church, and if we're only hearing about salvation at this little Baptist church, don't you think that maybe we should just go to the Baptist church? Now, that was easy for me to say because I didn't have 55 years invested in the Catholic church and in that community and where all my friends were. I had, most of my friends were in the Catholic church and in the Catholic school that I was going to, but it was easier for me to make that departure than it was for my parents. Well, 
slowly but surely it eventually did happen. And my parents and I eventually moved over to this church and my parents professed Christ and were baptized, I believe, I can't remember exactly, and I didn't check with my parents before this, but I believe right around my sophomore year of high school. And so we started going, I started going to youth group, started going to various functions, though I didn't really care about the actual spiritual nature of these things. It was more like to meet people, well, to meet girls, to be frank. Um, And so I would kind of play the part. I would um, party on the weekends. I would pursue my own desires and pursue sin to the hilt during the week and during the weekends. And then on Sunday, I would go to church kind of play the part, and then go back to living the way I was the next Monday. Still going to youth group occasionally and things like that. The reality was, is when you came right down to it, I did not desire the Lord, and I did not desire to be with His people. Sophomore year going to my junior year, that summer going to my junior year, we, as a class, went to a Young Life camp in Michigan, this is what the school did. Every year, that class going to their junior year would always go to something called Castaways in Michigan. It's a big young life camp, and you play and have fun, and you hear the gospel, and, and so on. And why this was a tradition at a Catholic church, I still don't know why, but it was, and it was one of the ways that God was using to work in my life. While we were there, I, we were all together together in the big room, and it was like the third night we were there, and on that third night, of course, you're going to get the invitation to come to Christ, and if you want to um, devote your life to Christ, to raise your hand. Well, up to that point, up to that summer, ever since I had heard the gospel, I had wanted to be right with God. There was a trouble in my soul um, I desired to be right with God. I wanted to know God, but I didn't want to give up my sin. And I understood the gospel well enough to know that in order to come to the Lord, I needed to be willing to turn completely to Him and turn away from sin. I had to give up pursuing sin. And I didn't want to do that. I really liked the way I was living and what I was doing, and, and I enjoyed various Uh, well, I should say very specific sins, and uh, I had no desire to depart from those things, yet I wanted to be right with God. And so I would pray. So I was, my friends would call me um, religious, I think, when I was in in high school, relatively religious, I guess, compared to them. But during high school, I would would pray each night before I went to bed. Well, that's probably stretching it. Occasionally before I go to bed, I'd pray, and I usually pray for the things that um, a lot of people who uh, have only a focus on themselves would pray for. I was praying for uh, that things would go well for me, that my parents would be healthy, that I would do really good in football, that I would do well in school, that my um, um, family would always be healthy, these kinds of things. And in the back of my mind, good things all, but but they, they, they were really just centered on a, a desire to preserve and protect self and, and to, um, to get what I wanted. But nevertheless, it was during this time that I would be praying these prayers that in the back of my mind I'd be kind of hesitantly praying, and I, I, I want to be saved, but you're going to have to do something, God, because I'll never be able to um, just give my life to you unless you do something dramatic in my life. Like, you're going to have to come down and do something because otherwise I just don't see how I'm going to 
give my life to you because of how much I, I love my sin. So I kind of be praying these little like hesitant prayers, like I don't really want you to answer that, but I kind of do. And so I was doing that throughout high school. Fast forward back to that summer. So that summer, up to that point, I was looking for what you might call the change. I desired to be right with God. I wanted to be saved. I wanted to have assurance. I just didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to get that. The Bible said, confess Jesus as Lord. So I literally sit in my room and say, Jesus is Lord, and look around and wait for something to happen. And so I was trying all these things to get this change to happen. And it was that summer that we were at the camp that they give the invitation, raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus or dedicate your life to Christ. I can't remember what it was, but anyways, I raised my hand. And if you get down to it, the, probably the real reason I was raising my hand, there was a desire to, to, to have something happen, but I was also very compelled by the desire to impress the girls. And so I raised my hand and I got what I wanted. I got pats on the back. Wow, Derek, that's great. And, and so on. And we went back home that, that after the camp and I told my parents what had happened, and my parents told my sister, and my sister told the pastor, and my, the pastor's like, hey, great, we got to get together so we can talk about now your new life in Christ. And so all of a sudden, he came over to the house, and I was like, well, let's just slow down here, all right? Uh, I don't know about this uh, getting so serious about things quite yet, all right? I mean, I may have dedicated my life to Jesus, but I don't really uh, want to do all the things that you're telling me. Well, the reality was is I hadn't really trusted Christ at all, and there had been no change. He, I still didn't desire to, to, to follow the Lord or to heed his word or to even to be around other Christians. I still thought Christians were totally ridiculous and annoying to be around. And I was embarrassed of the Lord and embarrassed of other Christians and of the church. And so when the, the pastor came over to talk to me more about what it meant to be a Christian, I wanted to have nothing to do with it. So I still hadn't achieved that change yet. The, the heart was still hard and... Um, I still wondered how, how one might achieve that change. Well, senior year. Maybe it's by being baptized. And so that year, I believe it might have been in the fall. I can't remember exactly, but it was my senior year. I told the uh, pastor I wanted to be baptized. And he must have asked me questions about what the gospel is. I, I must have been convincing enough. I don't know. I really don't know how I got into that, those baptismal waters. But there I was thinking that if I'm just baptized, and that will get me the change that I'm looking for. Well, that didn't work either. In fact, it was either later that night or the very next day that I just went out and committed all kinds of sin that I was habitually doing prior to that. There was, there's no change, no desire, no desire for holiness or for the Lord or for His Word or for His church or any of these things. That's senior year of high school. Well, I played the game a little bit longer um, and then went off to college in Portland, Oregon. And out there in Oregon, without any parental constraint, uh, without anyone saying, hey, Derek, you should go to church, I just left off church completely and stopped going. I mean, what was the point? I mean, you can't have a car at freshman, your freshman year, so, I mean, that means I gotta, like, get a ride. You know, I had all kinds of excuses. So I just, church just dropped off altogether. Um, drinking and partying increased all the more, which is hard to believe if you would have known me prior to that, but it increased all the more. And um, in terms of any semblance of 
Christianity, it had basically evaporated. And yet there was still this desire to be right with God. In fact, things got progressively worse for me spiritually. I started to suffer with uh, pretty significant depression. I would go out partying on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I'd wake up on a Sunday morning just like, what is life even about? Having some pretty intense existential <laughs> moments where I was just like, I don't even, it's hard for me even to wake up. I, I don't even know, like, this is pointless. How can this be life? I'm going to bust my tail five days out of the week in order to get some good grades to then in order to then party on the weekends and then wake up with this feeling of regret and remorse and wondering what life is even all about. So I was starting to really step into the, the, the depths of depression. And um, it was my sophomore year, that winter, went home for winter break. And because I had, I had applied to Notre Dame, and, uh, well, I didn't get into Notre Dame. I applied to go there because uh, I had a good friend who went there, my, one of my best friends in high school, and I applied to go there, and I wanted to go to school with him. Well, I didn't get in, and so I decided to go to the Notre Dame of the West, <laughs> which was, yeah, it was the University of Portland, another Catholic school. Yeah, the no- U- Notre Dame of the West, they called it. But anyway, that's almost kind of silly. But nevertheless, I, I went there, and as it turns out, this is what's so neat about God's providence, because what would happen from that point on would, would not have happened had I gone to Notre Dame and come home uh, a couple days later. Because when I came home for Christmas break from Portland, the Notre Dame of the West, uh, I was home for two days without any of my other friends. Only one other friend was in town. And so he and I got together and we wanted a party. So I went over to his house, drove my dad's nice new Dodge Ram, Keep that in mind. That's an important detail. Drove my Dodge, dad's Dodge Ram over to his house. We're going to do a little uh, pre-party uh, action, and then we're going to head up to another party. And so we sat down in, his, uh, in the basement of his house, and we drank a lot, and we went out to his, our cars. And um, we determined that I was more fit to drive than Rob was, though we were both very unfit to drive. And uh, we looked at the two cars sitting there, my dad's big, black, beautiful Dodge Ram, and Rob's crummy Volvo. And I said, I'm not going to drive my dad's truck, but I'll drive your Volvo up there. So we got in his car, and we drove up into what was called The Heights, about 20 minutes away from his house, and we went to a party, and then we left that party about midnight. No, it would have been later than midnight because I remember the time on the dashboard when I got pulled over. So we left about 1.20 in the morning and we're driving home and all of a sudden I see in the rearview mirror flashing lights. And so I pull over into a parking lot and it's, it's hard to imagine that this is even happening. I know exactly what's going on. Uh, and it's still hard to believe. And all of a sudden the officer comes up and knocks on my door. And uh, he asked me, I can't remember what he asked me initially, but eventually he brought me into his police car for a breathalyzer. And while I failed the breathalyzer badly, and Rob was being taken into another car because he was causing problems for this other officer. Meanwhile, I was determined that I was over the legal limit. Not only that, but I was underage, and so I was put in the back, I was handcuffed and put in the back of the police car. 
And what sounds like a, a tragedy actually at that moment was glorious for me because it was at that point that I said, I'm done. Like, this is it. This is what I had been praying for for years. God, I am, I repent. I am turning away from my sin. I, I turn away from this lifestyle of debauchery and of dishonoring you. I want you. I want to follow you. And literally crying out in the back of that police car with my hands behind my back that the Lord would save me. And so we get driven down to the... Um, the police station, and we're there till about four in the morning, you know, doing all the paperwork and the um, whatever else you do. I, I, don't, I don't know if I took another breathalyzer or not, but then had to make the phone call to my parents, and they came down to get me. But while they're coming down to get me, I just, on kind of on a, a whim, I just said, Officer, why did you pull me over? Because I knew I was good at drunk driving. I was good at not swerving. I'd gotten pretty good at it. And um, he said, you had a broken taillight. And so having taken my dad's truck, we wouldn't have had a broken taillight. But we took Rob's car, and that's what got us pulled over, praise God. And so my parents picked me up and brought me home and uh, were very discouraged. I had been able to... Um, deceived them for many years. They had no, very little idea what was going on. So this was a shock to them. And um, went to bed that night, woke up the next morning. The next several days were, were difficult in terms of reconciling with my parents. It was hard for them. But what was starting to happen in my own soul was a significant change. This thing that happened in the back of the police car was not like what had was happened in the past where I got baptized or when I um, raised my hand at this castaways camp. Something was different here. The repentance was genuine. I, 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 I was turning from sin. And in the kindness of the Lord, he actually enabled me to be able to go back to school and, and tell people. So, so I was able to go back to school. The, that winter passed. Um, I was able to, to reconcile with my parents. I was able to share with the rest of my family what had happened. It was devastating for them. I shared with some of the parents of my good friends. Um, it was devastating for them. And I was able to go back to school. So I went back that January. And in the kindness of the Lord, he provided me the ability to be able to tell people, because I, I wasn't ready quite yet to say, I gave my life to Jesus, therefore I am not, no longer partying and drinking and following that lifestyle. What I was able to do is I was able to go, because I may not have been able to, to hold that line had I not had something to, to help me. In, in God's kindness with this uh, DUI, I was able to go back to school and say, listen, I got a DUI, I can't party anymore. And I was able to use that and then, but slowly but surely, actually, you know, the real reason is like, I repented of my sin, and I'm trusting in the Lord, and I want to pursue Him, and 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 the, the slowly this this would this would come out. But I was able to go back to school and guard myself from getting sucked back into this lifestyle, and that was, I think, the kindness and tenderness of the Lord providing me this DUI with which to do that. And so I went back to school, and it was pretty soon after I got back there that I 
wanted to transfer schools. See, something I didn't share with you is that when I was in the Catholic Church, I had, I remember this distinctly, I'd sit in church and I'd listen to the priest and I'd be like, I could, anybody could do better than that. I mean, this is lame. Like, if you're going to encourage these people, like, at least talk for more than 10 minutes. And, uh, and so even, and then during school, I would, um, I'd, I won some awards for speaking and for writing and these kinds of things, and these uh, kind of things were coalescing together. And then when we, would, we went to this new uh, Baptist church, there was a desire to enter in the pastoral ministry. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, hey, I, I would kind of like to do that. Again, not as a Christian, but just seeing it as, a, in an, ad, as an admirable uh, profession. And the Lord, looking back, was putting pieces together even before my conversion, because then when I came to Christ, the desire became insatiable to know God's word, to understand it, and to preach it. That's all I wanted to do. In fact, I was so, it was funny, looking back, I just thought everybody would want to be a pastor. I just, like, doesn't everybody want to preach God's word? I, even, I was like, Mom, don't you want to be a pastor? Like, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't know she couldn't be a pastor, right? But I was like, well, it's obvious, Mom, you should. So that was, that was in my zeal, that's all I wanted to do. And so I decided I decided, that's funny. Um, I asked my parents, well, I may have told them, but I wanted to transfer schools. I wanted to go to a Christian school where I could learn the Bible and pursue ministry. My desire for that was, came almost immediately after uh, I came to Christ. And not only that, I wanted to be at a place where I would be helped to grow. I knew that where I was probably wasn't going to be the greatest place. All my friends that I had made there, most of them, uh, were developed around this kind of partying, immoral lifestyle. And so I needed to leave. And so I asked my parents if I could transfer schools. And so I did. And I transferred from University of Portland. This is in 1999, down to the Master's University, Master's College back then. And I began my studies, and uh, biblical studies. And you might think that the testimony ends there. Well, it doesn't because... It was during that time that the Lord used my time at the Master's University to greatly, greatly humble me. Now, you might know me and be like, well, you're not very humble, Derek, but let me tell you that this is a time of great um, spiritual agony, you might say. I transferred schools the first few months were wonderful, walking with the Lord, meeting new Christians, worshiping together hearing the word, going out and evangelizing. I mean, it was just, it was a spiritual wonderland, really. Really, it was wonderful. But then I started to engage in certain, um, if you're doing a biblical degree, you have to not only study scripture, but you have to engage arguments against the Bible, right? So I had to engage as a brand new believer, like a brand new tiny little plant and you want this tiny little plant to be able to withstand the weight of a, of a big grizzly bear climbing up its trunks. Well, I couldn't do that. I am a brand new believer, and now all of a sudden I'm st- studying like really challenging things to the faith, and while well, at the same time studying the Bible. And so what was starting to happen is I was starting to lack assurance of my salvation, starting to doubt the, the inerrancy of the Bible, 
And the Lord took me through this very, very painful time, a time that I never want to go back to again, of humbling me, bringing, him, bringing me, like I believe he brought Israel, to uh, finally be able to say that man does not live on bread alone, but, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because it was during this time that I came to trust in a, more, in, a, in a deeper way that the Bible is God's word, that it is my only recourse to intellectual, uh, only ultimate di- uh, recourse to intellectual difficulties about the faith, that my faith in Christ is grounded in his trustworthy word, and the Lord is bringing me to see the, the beauty and the necessity of humility in the Christian life. The, the pervasiveness of my sin, the need for the gospel as a daily remedy for my own sin and spiritual troubles. So it is out of this experience that I came to treasure the word more and to see how I needed to every day be applying the truth of Christ's death and resurrection and free justification to my soul so that I could fight sin, so that I could walk in assurance and so on. So though this was a, a very, very difficult time, the Lord used it for my good. Well, I completed my schooling. I was on the five and a half year plan. I finally got done in um, December of 2002. I should have graduated in the, the, uh, June 2001, but that's the way the Lord worked, and, and that was fine. It was good. That uh, uh, let's see, it would have been January. So I decided after this great humbling that had occurred at, at school that maybe, maybe I won't go into ministry. I think I'll instead go get a master's degree in education and, and, and teach elementary school, maybe teach high school, I don't know. But I don't think ministry is for me. And so I went and lived with a friend, uh, one of my best friends, uh, even to this day, PJ, went to live with him and his family and down in uh, Southern California while I was looking for a master's degree program. And I was substitute teaching a couple days a week and watching lots of 24 and just not doing, doing a whole lot. Uh, that's a show that used to be on with Kiefer. Anyways, never mind. Um, and just not doing a whole lot, really. I was kind of aimless, even. And uh, I had a friend up here at, uh, in Los Altos. His name is Bobby, and he worked at a church that was formerly called First Baptist Church Los Altos, now uh, Bridges Community Church. And he's up there as the, hi- uh, as the high school pastor. And he's like, hey, D, what are you doing? Um, 